The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. The High Holy Days take on special significance for the Jewish people at the annual observance of Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. It's the most solemn day of introspection. Solemn because Yom Kippur is considered to be a rehearsal for Judgment Day. And today I want to tie a lot of thoughts together about judgment and salvation, including details of a recently discovered letter of great spiritual depth by former President Ronald Reagan. Reagan's father-in-law was near death at the time, but insisted he was a committed atheist. What the president wrote is a profound exhortation of faith and salvation. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The Jewish Day of Atonement is known in Hebrew as Yom Kippur. No other nation that I know of engages in observing an annual fast while humbling themselves before God in deep national and individual repentance. And in Zechariah 12.10, the Almighty has promised to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication upon Israel. The Torah calls Yom Kippur the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And my secular Jewish and Israeli friends don't consider themselves to be religious. Nevertheless, even they honor Yom Kippur in some way, either by abstaining from work, by fasting for 24 hours, or attending synagogue services. You see, in the Torah, according to Leviticus chapter 23, Yom Kippur is a day to afflict the soul. Ideally, a fast is com a complete fast without food or water, but exceptions are made for young children, the elderly, the sick, and pregnant women. The Jewish people believe that on Yom Kippur, God enters his verdict in books which are sealed. In Christianity, when a person becomes born again, that is, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, his or her name is inscribed in the Book of Life. And at the beginning of Yom Kippur in the synagogues, the cantors sing the Kol Nidra, meaning all vows, in hope that names will be inscribed. This ancient chant is sung in Aramaic and contains these words. All personal vows we are likely to make 
all personal oaths and pledges that we may take between this Yom Kippur and the next, we publicly renounce. Let our personal vows, pledges, and oaths be considered neither vows nor pledges or oaths. The leader in the congregation then say three times together, May all the people of Israel be forgiven, including all the strangers who live in their midst, for all the people are in fault. This is corporate prayer, a holy activity that many evangelical churches should be incorporating when seeking God's favor and forgiveness for our own national sins. I describe myself as a Judeo-Christian because Judaism is surely the foundation of our faith and ethics. You see, without our Hebraic roots and beginnings, Christianity simply can't be explained or understood. Followers of Rabbi Jesus, Yeshua, believe that he died to make atonement as God's sacrificial lamb upon the altar of the cross at Calvary. The cross is history's centerpiece. We choose to look by faith to the judgment of our sins at his cross for all time and eternity. And when we look at the cross, just as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness, we live and our sins are forgiven vicariously. Therefore, any day for us, not just Yom Kippur, any day is potentially a day of salvation because of 2 Corinthians 6.2, which declares, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Before Messiah came, all religious privileges belonged to Israel. Through times of ignorance, the Gentiles walked in darkness. But when Messiah appeared, it was a time of deliverance, salvation, and healing for all people. And when the Holy Spirit fell on both Jews and Gentiles, as recorded in the book of Acts, chapters 2 and chapters 10, it was evident that a new age had come. We're still living in the acceptable year of the Lord and the dispensation of grace until the second coming of Jesus. The Jewish people say hopefully to one another at this time of year, may your name be inscribed, meaning in the book of life. When we put our faith in the Savior, the Bible promises that our names are inscribed and sealed in the Lamb's book of life. Thank God as long as the gospel door of hope is open, any name can still be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, any time that a person repents and believes the good news. Well, upon their return from successful preaching forays in Luke 10, 20, Jesus admonished his disciples, Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you, but rejoice because your names are registered in heaven in the Book of Life. You see, the concept of judgment books in the book of life, these are all mentioned at least three times in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And I want to share these important verses with you at this time. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, where Jesus promises, All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never blot out their names from the book of life but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. Then in Revelation chapter 13, 
and verse 8, it speaks of the future period when the Antichrist, who is called the beast, has his reign on the earth. It says all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the lamb who was slain. And then another reference in Revelation chapter 20 in verse 12, St. John wrote, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Now what do all of these verses teach us? Each one of us has a record before God of all that we do here in our lifetime. Whether we realize it or not, we're writing our own history in the books in heaven. Even if we never write an autobiography on earth, our deeds are writing a biography in heaven. Our memoirs will not go unrecorded. The issue is, have we lived a true and honest life? Have we been a real believer or a fake believer? You see, once we've died, there can be no revised edition of our book in heaven. The books then will be open and we are to be judged out of the book, which we ourselves have written by our lives. But if we put our faith and trust in the Savior, we're promised that our names will be inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. When God's children are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, He also gives us new names. That's a Bible promise. For example, Abram became Abraham, the father of the faithful and friend of God. Jacob, the supplanter, became Israel, a prince with God. And Saul of Tarsus, who breathed out threats against the church, became Paul, the apostle. We honor our Jewish brethren on Yom Kippur because we know that they're seeking God fervently. They believe Messiah is yet to come, and we believe He's already come, but that He's coming again to save us and all of Israel. Now, I find this infinitely fascinating that in the synagogue services as Yom Kippur ends, there's a long shofar blast. Ten days ago was the Feast of Trumpets called in the Bible Yom Terah, meaning the day of alarm, the day of shouting. It's sometimes called the Feast of Trumpets, but the word trumpet, literally shofar, is not mentioned in the Bible concerning Yom Terah, the so-called Feast of Trumpets. But now think about this. The book of Leviticus in the Torah actually stipulates that a shofar is to sound on Yom Kippur. As a matter of fact, Leviticus 25.9 is very specific about trumpets associated with Yom Kippur. It says, Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. So it's definitely awesome to me that in Judaism, Yom Kippur is the day of the last call to repent before a big trumpet blast. That concept is definitely a New Testament concept, my friends, because today is the day of salvation. 
Today is the day of the last call. And why? Because God never promises us a tomorrow. Hebrews 3.15 in the New Testament declares, Today, not tomorrow, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Yom Kippur can therefore possibly be a foreshadowing of the rapture when the Lord comes to gather his saints. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 teaches that the trumpet shall sound and the dead of Messiah shall be raised. And those of us who happen to be alive and remain at that time will be caught up with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the atmosphere. Furthermore, and this is incredibly rich, the service at the end of Yom Kippur is frequently called the closing of the gates. This really preaches because soon the gates of mercy will close, just as God himself closed the door on Noah's ark. And only those who were shut inside the ark, Noah's family, were saved. And Jesus is our ark of eternal security. When we're in him, we are safe. We're living at this moment in an extended period of grace, and all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the chauffeur call of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. First Thessalonians chapter four teaches, and then after that, those of us who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so the apostle Paul promised, by the word of the Lord, we shall forever be with the Lord. And also Paul revealed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter in verse 52, also about the rapture that'll happen in a moment in the twinkling, a blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have been died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living at that time will also be changed, transformed. Evangelicals often associate the Feast of Trumpets with the rapture, but have we considered that the Feast of Trumpets could be like a wake-up call announcing that the Lord is coming and the 10 days of awe between the Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur could be the equivalent of the missing 10 days that Jesus left unfulfilled when he broke the Omer account in the previous spring Levitical festival, Shavuot, meaning weeks in Hebrew, and in Christianity, that's called Pentecost for the 50 days. If you recall, there are 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, Shavuot, or seven weeks. But after Jesus, the Passover Lamb of God was raised from the dead, he broke the days of counting the Omer, the grain offering, between Passover and Shavuot. He broke the count on the 40th day when he ascended. And thus he left 10 days prophetically unreckoned, unfulfilled. All we believers know for sure is that a lot of prophetic events are converging at this time. And the question is, are we ready for the coming of the Lord? The Jews set an example by dedicating a whole day going without food and water to seek God. In the meantime, believers in Yeshua, Jesus, know that atonement was made for us at the cross and that his atonement is still efficacious today, 
nearly 2,000 years later, according to this word of God. If the Lord delays his coming, we can rejoice that we still have a little more time to bring in the remaining Gentile harvest, which soon will be fulfilled according to Romans chapter 11, verses 12 and verse 25. The concluding service of Yom Kippur is unique. As I said, the service is sometimes referred to as the closing of the gates and the service ends with that very long shofar blast. It's also interesting to note that the prophet Jonah is read in synagogues on the afternoon of Yom Kippur. Perhaps the most important reason for that that Jonah is read is that that book specifically points toward God's love for the nations and the need of repentance for sins, the need of atonement and forgiveness, which extends not only to Israel, but to all the nations, all the children of Adam and Eve. After all, a part of Israel's special call is to be a light to the nations and that through Israel and her Messiah, all families of the earth will be blessed. As with Jonah, it is God's charge to Israel today to share the good news of God's provision of the Lamb of atonement for sin outside her own borders, even to her enemies. As a prophet, Jonah tried to escape his mission to tell the people of Nineveh that their judgment time was near, that they had committed so many sins that the Almighty had decided to destroy them. But Jonah didn't love Nineveh, and so he tried to escape from his calling he jumped on a ship going far away, but he was thrown overboard and was swallowed by a giant fish for three days and nights and was finally vomited up on the shore, a type of the resurrection of Jesus. God made Jonah realize that the Lord has mercy and pity for everyone and that God desires that all will come to repentance. And the Ninevites did repent. They repented at his preaching. The good news of the gospel is that today is still the day of salvation. It's still the day of grace and the door of salvation is still open. There's yet room at the cross to be washed of sins. The fountain that was opened in Emmanuel's veins is available to all at any time. But in order for your name to be inscribed in the Lamb's book of life, the free gift of salvation from the Lord must be received. It can also sadly be rejected. The choice is ours. That's why I was so amazed to read this week that a columnist in the Washington Post has uncovered a handwritten letter by former President Ronald Reagan. This private correspondence was sent to Reagan's father-in-law just days before his father-in-law's death. Reagan was worried because the dying man, Dr. Loyal Davis, who was a pioneering neurosurgeon, wasn't a believer. He didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He didn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe that heaven and hell are real places where the dead will go. President Reagan, on the other hand, believed the Bible that says everyone will face a day of judgment. And that solemn fact was pressing upon the president's mind that his beloved wife's father's judgment day was near and he was headed for hell. So the Washington Post columnist wrote, the most powerful man in the world momentarily set aside everything else at the White House and took pen in hand 
to try to rescue one soul. Ronald Reagan wrote four pages of evangelical testimony on his White House stationery. The year was 1982 and the letter was dated August the 7th, which was 12 days before the death of Dr. Davis. This letter is not part of the presidential records publicly available at the Reagan Library, but the letter was discovered earlier this year by the Washington Post columnist in a cardboard box of Nancy Reagan's personal effects. The Reagan Library gave the columnist access to Nancy Reagan's personal effects as part of her research on a biography of the late First Lady. And the letter was quoted in the Washington Post and its reproduction in full is freely available on the internet with the permission of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation. The discovery of this intimate testimony, as I said, four pages of White House stationery randomly tucked in a file is riveting. As the article stated, you don't have to believe that Ronald Reagan's policies were perfectly aligned with Christian teachings to appreciate that this private letter reveals volumes about the former president and his faith. The whole letter reads like a gospel tract. In fact, the president could have used some portions of a gospel article or a gospel tract as a template to help him write this very sensitive and loving letter. But first, Reagan began by giving a personal testimony of his own physical healing, how God had healed and delivered him from a painful ulcer. Reagan wrote that he had lived with constant pain that ranged from discomfort to extremely sharp attacks, but he testified that it was through the power of prayer that he was totally healed and his doctor could find no trace of past illness from ulcers. The reporter who discovered the Reagan letter observed how carefully the president had collected his thoughts. Not a word of his small round script was crossed out and near the end there are three watery smudges. Speculations are spilled coffee, the president's tears, or someone's later tears. In his letter to his father-in-law, Reagan, who was often nicknamed the Great Communicator, shared the heart of the gospel. He wrote to his father-in-law, I know of your feeling, your doubt, but could I just impose on you a little longer? Reagan wrote, some 700 years before the birth of Christ, the ancient Jewish prophets predicted the coming of a Messiah. They said he'd be born in a lowly place, he'd proclaim himself the Son of God, and would be put to death for saying that. All in all, Reagan added, there were a total of 123 specific prophecies about the life of Jesus, all of which came true. He wrote, crucifixion was unknown when the prophecies were written in the Hebrew scriptures, yet it was foretold that Jesus would be nailed to a cross. And one of the predictions was that he'd be born of a virgin, the president added. He also wrote, now I know that it's probably hard for you as a doctor to accept, but the only answer that can be given is a miracle. But he wrote to his father-in-law, I don't find that as great a miracle as the actual history of his life. Either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was the greatest faker and charlatan who ever lived. 
But, Reagan asked, would a liar and faker suffer the death he did when all he had to do to save himself was admit he'd been lying? The miracle is that a young man of 30 years without credentials as a scholar or a priest began preaching on street corners. He owned nothing but the clothes on his back, and he didn't travel beyond a circle less than 100 miles across. He did this for only three years and then was executed as a common criminal. But for 2,000 years he has, he's had more impact on the world than all the teachers, scientists, emperors, generals, and admirals who ever lived all put together. Then the president also wrote out John 3:16, which is the heart of the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Then, very tactfully, the son-in-law continued to entreat his dying father-in-law with these words. We've been promised that all we have to do is ask God in Jesus' name to help when we've done all we can, when we've come to the end of our strength and abilities. And we'll have that help. We only have to trust and have faith in His infinite goodness and mercy. Well, I was astonished and blessed by this letter today. It's an intimate, humble profession of faith. And the president added, We've been promised this is only a part of life and that a greater glory awaits us. And he ended his letter by asking his father-in-law in Jesus' name to put himself safely into the hands of God. Well, I think this amazing letter shows immense character because we must be concerned about the eternal destiny of all mankind, but especially the eternal destiny of our loved ones. Isn't that true? And so Reagan didn't let the opportunity pass, and the question remains, did his letter produce its desired result? Well, Nancy Reagan, who saved her husband's heartfelt letter, was with her father when he died, and she would later claim that her father did turn to God at the end of his life. Two days before his death, Dr. Loyal Davis sought out a hospital chaplain, and he prayed with him. And Nancy Reagan said in a speech that she was comforted because after that prayer, she had noticed that her father was calm and at peace, and he was not frightened as before. He passed into eternal glory, apparently because somebody had cared. And what about you? I'm sometimes so shocked by the brevity of life when somebody suddenly dies or is killed and is forever taken away. So I want to take the time to invite you to choose life today. Choose the Savior while there's yet time. Soon the last trump will sound. And if we give our lives into the hands of the Savior, He will inscribe our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. So Heavenly Father, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to touch somebody watching or listening to this broadcast right now and give him, give her, Revelation that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus was declared to be Lord through the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Well, if you'd like to share your thoughts with me, feel free to contact me through the social media or at our website at exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine, Exploits. 
and learn about our prayer convocations and tours in Israel. Also a reminder, our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from the app stores. And so until next time, I'm Christine Dark, always contending for the faith. Shalom and Maranatha.